This is the Retire Happy Podcast with John Amarino, teaching you each episode about holistic retirement planning. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us this week. I'm Walter Storholt alongside John Amarino, financial advisor, fiduciary at Securus Financial, serving you throughout the San Diego area. And this is the Retire Happy Podcast, teaching you about holistic retirement planning. It's great to be with you once again, John. How you been, sir? Great, great. How have you been, Walter? Very well, and looking forward to our conversation on the podcast today, as I always do, because I've got a couple of different topics that we're going to dig into on today's show. A little bit of a preview for you. We're going to be talking about this buzzword in the financial world called risk tolerance. If you've ever met with a financial advisor, you've maybe heard this word mentioned, even maybe watching in the news or any research you've done, you've probably come across that word risk tolerance. And even if the word tolerance has been left off, you've probably been involved into some discussions about risk at some point in time during your investing life. So we're going to talk a lot in depth today about that particular buzzword and what it really should mean to you. But before we even get into that, I'm kind of taking stock, John, of the last you know year or so of the financial markets. And something was interesting as we experienced all the volatility that we did throughout 2018 and at the beginning of 2019, the ups and the downs. It seemed like any time we had a bad week, everybody got all stirred up and there'd be some people saying, you know, this is it. The crash is finally here. Either it's coming or it's already here. But then you'd have folks on the other side of the spectrum saying, no, this is no big deal. We're due for a slight correction. So as we see these weeks, and we're bound to have more of them, I would imagine, this year, how do we know who's right when we're hearing people on totally opposite sides of that argument? Wow, that is the million-dollar question, right? I think if we knew who was right, we would all be very wealthy. That's that's true. Um, We'd be seeing the future, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I tell my clients this, nobody truly knows. No one has a crystal ball. You know, there are some people that believe the system is rigged, but, you know, a great example of nobody knows is 2008. And, you know, Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, they no longer exist. And Merrill Lynch exists because B of A had to acquire them. So my point there is you have three gigantic investment firms who got it wrong. And there are also several pundits at that time who were telling you to buy you know, certain stocks, you know, specifically Bear Stearns, and they got it wrong. So nobody knows. You had a lot of very smart people that got it wrong in 2008. But there were also people who got it right. And one story I always talk with my clients, and uh, it became a big movie, was The Big Short. Have you seen that movie, Walter? Love The Big Short. Seen it so many times. It's just entertaining, even though it's about like a financial subject. It was done in such a good way. I, I love that movie. Yeah, and I think it's a great example of how you know a lot of Wall Street firms got it wrong. But you look at the flip side, there were a lot of people, and I know you know we have investment managers that made a profit in 2008 because they saw something that alarmed them. And you know, in the big short, I think a great example is Michael Burry. And in the beginning, you know, he was losing a lot of his clients' money because he was going the other way on the market. And at one point in time, you know, he was he was getting some uh, very nasty phone calls when he froze his clients' funds in that hedge fund. But in the end, he was absolutely correct. So he got it right. They had him popping Tums in like the very first scene when he first started to think about making that investment. Exactly, exactly. So, um, and really what I tell people there is, to his credit, 
and I talk to people so much about that 50% of this game is psychological. He did not waver. You know, he believed in his metrics and his analysis and he stuck to his guns and he didn't let behavioral finance take over, which so many people do. And in the end, he ended up making a lot of money, not only for himself, but for those clients that at one point in time hated him. So, you know, I think it's a great example of no one truly knowing. And I I think since then, and I'm sure you've heard them on the news or seen their commercials, there's many pundits out there that are, you know, for the last 10 years have, you know, essentially yelled chicken little right? The markets are going to crash. The markets are going gonna to lose. It's going to be worse than 2008. And, you know, if a lot of people kind of believe that road, they lost the opportunity to make up a lot of money that they would have lost in 2008 or would have lost the opportunity to take advantage of, you know, a bull market since March of 2009. I think it's just such a tough situation for a lot of people because you want to be right. You want to be on the right side of history from a financial perspective. So you want to kind of seek out these experts, see what they're saying on the direction of the market. If you can know that crash is coming, then you'll be better for it because you can prepare for it. But it seems like the ultimate lesson we always get told to remember and to learn is that you just can't successfully time the market, you know, time in and time out. You might get lucky one time. But as a consistent strategy, it's just not going to work. Absolutely. And, you know, that's a great point. And there's three things I tell my clients I can't do for them and three things that I tell them we can do for them. Number one, things we can't do for them is forecast the economy and predict the markets. Number two, and you just made this point, we cannot time the market. There's a big difference between short-term volatility you know, what we saw in 2018 and a long-term recession or correction like we saw in October of 07 to March of 09. You know, I I believe that a lot of investment managers think that's a lot easier to navigate than these up and down short-term volatility swings because you just can't get in and out of the market on that short-term volatility because it's been proven that timing the market is not possible. And the last thing I tell my clients we can't do is predict future performance based on past performance. And, you know, once they understand that, you set those expectations. And, you know, we use very simplistic software that says, listen, you can make this much money and you can lose this much money. And chances are you're going to be somewhere in between. And you're really setting those expectations. And that kind of segues into three things I can tell my clients what we can do for them. Number one is, and you're going to hear me say this time and time again, it's create a plan. You need to have a plan and you need to be able to stick to that plan. You know, what is your plan if the market drops 30 to 40 or 50% and your livelihood now depends on that money? That's going to erode your quality of life, your retire happy and I see a lot of people without a plan, and it really falls right into the Dalbar study. Have you ever heard of the Dalbar study, Walter? Very uh, reputable investment or, uh, I guess, company that does a lot of studies and things like that, right? Yeah. It's a quantitative think tank that studies investor behavior. And you know, the one thing you learn that Dalbar has stated repeatedly in good markets and in bad markets is people – underperform 
the respective indexes. And we're talking over a 30-year period, the typical investor has underperformed the index by over 6%. And the reason for that is because of what I like to term freakout risk. They make bad decisions, irrational decisions at bad times. And sometimes those bad times can actually be times of opportunity, but they didn't have a plan. So they panicked and they sold. Or as I tell people, they bought and fold instead of buying and hold. And again, you know, that plan that you create helps people understand that if you're in the market, you will lose money. I mean, that is a given. The markets go up, the markets go down, and even the laws of physics, right? Whatever goes up must come down. So you're going to lose money at some point in time, but you have to have a plan for that. And if you have the plan, you're going to have more confidence. And that kind of leads me into the second thing that I tell people we can do. You know, with that plan, we can attempt to modify bad investor behavior. And, you know, we want to develop that plan that gives them the confidence right from the get-go. We're always talking worst case scenario. You have to have those contingents. And, you know, we employ defensive portfolios and we implement bucket strategies to help keep our clients confident, right? Our clients can have several different investment strategies wrapped up in one portfolio. You know, we're going to have a short-term horizon and a long-term horizon. And those strategies are going to be diverse, and they're going to be invested completely differently. Because if you need money in the next one to 10 years, your investment strategy and tolerance, which we'll talk about in a little bit, is going to be much more different than your long-term horizon. And then lastly, you know, while we can't predict the future performance, we can provide at least a long-term historical perspective to help establish those expectations. So that's really, you know, where we come in to help our clients out with that. And, you know, 2018, I looked at it as a golden opportunity for a lot of people out there because, you know, from a point in time, the S&P 500 had a heck of a drop from, you know, July to the end of the year. Do you know what that drop was, Walter? No, what did it end up being? approximately 18% drawdown or, you know, from the top to the bottom. So that was a a little bit of a gut check for a lot of people, right? That's that's no small amount. Yeah. No, no. Now, you know, in the end, people may have lost single digits, you know, eight, nine percent, which certainly isn't a huge, what we'd call, you know, market recession or correction type losses. You know, people lost 30, 40, 50% in 2008. And I tell people, this is a great, you know, kind of trial run, you know, how confident are you feeling? Because I had a lot of people come in in 2018 saying, yeah, you know, I'm fine with losing 25%. And as we were going through their financial planning process, as they were evolving from prospects to clients, um, especially in February and October, you had a lot of these people that said, yeah, I have no problem losing 25%, half a million, million dollars. But when they just lost six or seven percent in their portfolio, that freakout risk—it it became a reality. They understood everything we were talking about, and that freakout risk started to take over. So we were able to address that right then and there. So, you know, I actually embraced the volatility of 2018, and you know, we've seen those volatile months. 
you know, especially in 2018, no major market crashes though have happened since 2009. And you know, I tell my clients all the time, you know, there are certainly warning signs we should pay attention to. You know, would you agree with that, Walter? Oh yeah, indicators, warning signs, red flags, those kinds of things. Right. So, you know, while we can't predict the future, you know, I, I think we do have some telltale signs, you know, those bubble terms. And, and, you know, in 2008, we had several red flags, right? People with very little income were getting $700,000 mortgage loans. And, you know, people were using their homes as piggy banks. And people were buying million dollar homes that they couldn't afford with the thought process of, listen, real estate is the place to be. I'm going to buy this million dollar home with a 0% loan. And I'm going to flip it in a year for 1.2 and I'm going to cash at $200,000. And that didn't quite work out for them, right? So, you know, I think today you do have to pay attention. You know, we do have a lot of things that are not fundamentally correct. And, you know, and we talked about in prior episodes, David Walker beating the drum that since 2000, our government has really been reckless in its spending. And, you know, when he wrote his book, Come Back America in 2010, we were at $9 trillion debt. Now, do you know what today's debt is closing in on, Walter? It's not going to be long before we hit 20, right? 22. Oh, okay. I missed that by a few months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. $21.9 wow. trillion. And, and he says, you know, back in 2010, he said, you know, to acquire as much debt as we have, which was $9 trillion, you could literally spend a million dollars a day back to the birth of Jesus, and we still wouldn't even come close to what we have spent. Wow. So... You know, we have to look at, I, I, I'm very concerned about the debt and the fact that we're at all-time highs in the market and interest rates are at all-time lows. So just using that knowledge, we're not forecasting the economy, but we have to have that contingency plan as to where if we are certainly in another bubble, do we have a plan to preserve part of our clients' wealth and help get them through what will be, you know, eventually another market recession or correction? Well, John, we're using a lot of words like bubble and crash and volatility and several others that, to me, all kind of ring true to that conversation about risk. And so I want to make sure that we, we talk about this on the podcast today in a little bit of depth because risk and risk tolerance especially is this buzzword that kind of gets used a lot in meetings with financial advisors or find out your risk tolerance or do you know what your risk tolerance is? Those are common questions or appeals that advisors will make to folks to kind of open up that conversation about how you feel about risk as it relates to your financial plan. But I think a lot of people don't really understand or don't have real tangible or, or context or feelings about what that really means. So I want to make sure we get the 411 on what exactly is risk tolerance. How do you describe that concept to somebody who maybe isn't familiar with risk tolerance to begin with? Well, that's easy. It's how much risk can you tolerate, right? Okay. <laughs> They're it's just answer. a less fancy way to say it right. than the risk yeah, tolerance. Sh you know. Show's over. Right. <laughs> uh, no, you know, that's a great question. Risk tolerance actually, as a fiduciary advisor, is a requirement. We have to determine a client's risk tolerance. However, I, you know, having people that have advisors or perhaps brokers, I believe that either the risk tolerance hasn't really been completely understood or properly applied. 
And when I tell people what we're going to do is determine their risk tolerance, I'm telling them, hey, what we're going to determine here is really how much risk you are willing to take for the potential of higher returns. And if you're a pre-retiree and retiree, I'm going to preface this with this is a different ball game. You're in a completely different phase of life. And I give the analogy of hiking up Mount Everest. It takes a lot of dedication, hard work, going without, you know, sacrifice to put that money in your 401k and stay invested in good and bad times. And just like hiking up to the top or summit of Mount Everest, that's no easy task, right? It's an extremely hard task. Yeah. But if you stay disciplined, you stay on the path, you can get to that summit. But if you ask any experienced mountaineer, they're going to tell you that while the ascent was very dangerous, the descent is actually the most dangerous part. You know, that's what I say, hey, this is, we're now shifting into retirement. That is, is the descent. We're going from accumulation to distribution. And where a lot of people miss out is they go from accumulation straight to distribution and they never take into account preservation. And in retirement, unlike your accumulation phase, your livelihood now depends on this money. If you were working in 2008 and your 401k lost 50%, you still had some peace of mind that you had a paycheck to live off of. Well, now if you're about to retire and you're, or you are retired, the tables have turned. If you don't have a pension, I strongly encourage that you build your retirement you know, around a solid asset base. Don't wholeheartedly, you know, we want to maximize Social Security, but don't completely depend on that. I think that's very dangerous. So now you're living off your assets and it's a different ballgame, especially when it comes to risk tolerance. And the end game is, again, it's all psychological. And the crux behind risk tolerance is people really love a 10 or 15% increase in their portfolios, right? I mean, you, you would like a, a nice 10 or 15% return on your uh, portfolio, right, Walter? I'll take that all day. And while that gives us a, a nice little, you know, warmth in our tummy, on the flip side, people, and this is clinically proven, people absolutely dread loss and the pain that comes with it. Now, if you are depending on this money and you lose a lot of it, you're going to really feel it and you're going to get that freak out risk. And that's going to lead to your rational behavior, which Dalbar has, you know, done multiple studies over the last two decades showing that this is a, a legit thing. So what is risk tolerance? Well, the best example I give to people is going to Las Vegas. Walter, you like going to Las Vegas? I've only been once, and it was right before I turned 21. So I wasn't able to do much other than watch the fountains. <laughs> <clears throat> nice, nice. Well, you know, living in San Diego, growing up in San Diego, in my 20s and 30s, especially in my 20s, my friends and I, would we go to Las Vegas all the time. And, you know, the question I really like to kind of use this parallel with the risk tolerance and clients is, are you a big gambler? And, you know, for me, I'm a very calculated person. I'm a fairly conservative, calculated person. Now, I don't mind gambling, but when I go to Vegas, I'm going to go there and say, listen, I'm going there for a weekend. I have X amount of dollars that I am willing to lose. Now, I'm not saying I like losing the money. Nobody likes losing their money. 
but that's how much I am willing to lose before I'm feeling uncomfortable. Right. I'm counting these dollars as this is my entertainment for the weekend. And that's, you can view it that way. I'm not even losing it. It's just instead of, you know, going to a show, I'm going to, you know, just give it to the casino. (laughs) Exactly. And that's a great point because, you know, if I go to Las Vegas for two days and I've got X amount of dollars and, you know, I'm not considered a whale where I'm going to be, you know, willing to lose five or $10,000, I'm going to probably play those 10 or 25 dollar tables. I like to play craps. And even when I play craps, I'm always hedging. I'm actually not always going along with what everyone else at the table is doing, but I I might just play a $10 table because of what you said. I know, hey, I want to expand this experience for as long as I can. So if I'm only willing to lose 500 or a thousand dollars, I'm not just going to go to a hundred dollar table, right? Three Mm -hmm. or four bad hands and I'm done. And, uh, you know, I'm spending, you know, the rest of my uh, trip in the room while my friends are gambling. Now, on the flip side, I have plenty of buddies that they're willing to mortgage, you know, their paychecks when they go to Vegas and they love that thrill. And I've seen buddies lose a couple thousand dollars on a trip to Vegas. I've also seen buddies win a couple thousand dollars and, you know, they're willing to tolerate it. But even those people with those aggressive gambling attitudes, here's the underlying thing that I always saw with my buddies yeah, winning that money was good, but the losing just sticks with them a little bit longer, hmm. right? That plane ride home isn't always, <laughs> you know, a joyous one. The um, lows are lower than the highs. Yeah, yeah. So I tell people, you know, that pain of those big losses is always going to be more powerful and will be more impactful than the euphoria of the big winnings. So that's how, you know, uh, kind of using the analogy of how I would really describe risk tolerance to people. And so to get an understanding of what somebody's risk tolerance is, you just paint the hypothetical of going to Vegas for them pretty much? Yeah, yeah, because, yeah. hey, that I mean, for all intents and purposes, that's simply what the market's, you know, doing. Yeah, you might have a little bit more educated probabilities on your side, but you're still, you know, it's no sure thing. It's right. a gamble. And the losses you can suffer are just as bad in both locations and maybe even greater in your oh, yeah. portfolio. Because usually if you go to Vegas or something like that, like you said, you're setting aside, okay, I'm comfortable losing this amount. And that amount, I'm going to guess, is not your life savings. So you've got a little yeah. bit lower umbrella of loss there. So when you get those different reactions, John, what do you do with that information? You kind of find out what somebody's risk tolerance is, but it's not an exact science, right? I mean, you're getting kind of emotional responses here. So then how do you incorporate that into a plan that is supposed to be a little bit more of that you know, blend of science and maybe with a little bit of an art thrown in there too, but ultimately you know, is designed to make somebody's money last as long as they do and allow them to have that successful retirement? How do you kind of reconcile the emotion of risk tolerance into the actual physical plan. Right. Well, and this is where I think we really differentiate ourselves is to really establish a person's true risk tolerance. Yes, we have our cookie cutter, you know, psychological forms that we ask a series of questions to the clients to establish an investment risk tolerance. But where we're different, and I think this is the most crucial part to the risk tolerance question and answer is you have to get to know your clients as people. You have to understand their thoughts on money, their past perspectives on money. That's powerful. You have to find out how they value money. Do they look at money like 
it's the most important thing in life or they cavalier with it. And you have to take their past experiences into account because that tells a lot about people. And I think you can agree with this, Walter, that your past, my past, people's past experiences make up today's thinking and thought process Mm -hmm. and their actions. And it's going to make up their future decision making. So if you truly know somebody, and once we get that, and I have a good understanding of how these people truly are as people, not as, hey, you know, let's just give a, a bunch of hypothetical situations. I think that lays the great foundation for the risk tolerance. And then the other thing that where we really separate ourselves is, you know, we build our buckets of money, both short-term and long-term wealth. And we actually do separate volatility questionnaires and risk tolerance questionnaires for those two time spans, because your risk tolerance and investment outlook should be a completely different outlook for the short-term period, let's say one to 10 years. And then, you know, our later bucket, as we say, is for 11 plus years. And, and you know that psychologically, you can withstand some bigger losses in those buckets because you have time, you've built a time horizon to recover those losses and to take advantage of market growth. Because, you know, despite 2008, studies have shown and market analytics have shown that if you do truly want growth, that you do have to be in the market. So I think having that later bucket with that focus is very powerful. So where does everybody kind of fit into that mold of risk tolerance? I mean, is there an average? Is there a section where most people kind of fit into? Do you think that most people have that fairly similar level of risk tolerance? Well, I will say this. No people, no two people are the same, not even spouses. I often get, you know, spouses where one spouse is more aggressive and the other spouse is absolutely, you know, doesn't want to lose a penny of their money. So I I think it's very important to accommodate both people. It's both their money. So we'll build out plans to specifically address that risk tolerance. Now, while no two people are alike, I often find that a lot of pre-retirees and retirees, when they really understand the impact of market losses, especially coupled with withdrawals, I do think that the majority of pre-retirees and retirees understand the fact that, you know, they have to take the foot off the gas pedal, at least for a portion of their money to really have a fundamentally strong portfolio for their life savings. And I guess last but not least, maybe to put a bow on today's entire conversation, John, can you maybe give us one of those examples of a plan that you designed for somebody who had, let's say, a very low risk tolerance? What were you able to do for them and some of their particulars to be able to you know, give them a solid plan for retirement, taking that into account? Well, I think you know the most common example I see in the story is those people coming in with very conservative risk tolerances that when we use our third-party analytical software that really shows what their portfolios will do in good markets and bad markets, I think that's where the rubber meets the road because a lot of these conservative people, whether they're do-it-yourselfers or they're dealing with you know, perhaps a broker advisor, they find that they are have a lot more risk than they're willing to take. So that's the first thing we'll always address. And then the second thing is we want to be able to design a plan that's going to give them that comfort level. So, you know, we may use 
very conservative investments such as fixed annuities, fixed index annuities, laddered bonds. You know, ultimately, if you're a conservative person, you're going to be more towards those spectrum of investments. You shouldn't be, you know, holding individual stocks or a lot of equity type investments. And again, that goes into you just don't build a plan off a person's risk tolerance. You have to look at all aspects. You know, do they need income? Really, what the goal of is that money? But that's how we would structure a conservative portfolio. You know, we set the expectations, right? If you're very risk averse, you're not going to get when the market goes up 32%, you're not going to even come close to getting that. But when the market drops 38 or 50%, this is more what you're going to look at for losses. And are, are you comfortable with that? And, and typically, you know, the response is yes, we're fine with this range of returns. And that's how, you know, how we do our planning. So if you have questions about your own risk tolerance, I'll tell you what, it's pretty easy to get in touch with John Amarino and have those conversations. How does this affect my plan? What is my risk tolerance in the first place? Sometimes people think that they can take more risk when in reality, when the rubber meets the road, they find out that they're not as you know risk tolerant as they thought they might be. If you've got questions and want to talk to John about it, 858 858- 935-6210 is your number to call to get in touch. 858-935-6210. You can also go online to gosecurus.com. That's gosecurus.com. John's got an office on Trina Street, conveniently off of Interstate 15 next to Scripps Ranch High School, serving you throughout the San Diego area. Of course, you can go to gosecurus.com once again to get in touch via the website. That's also where you can go to listen to past episodes of the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe if you like to use iTunes or Google or any of those other podcast apps. We're on uh, pretty much all of them. So be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss one of our great topics here on the program. John, that was a fun dive into the conversation about risk and some of the volatility that we've seen over the past year. I think really good perspective to kind of give us some things to think about as we head through this year. Great, great. And I uh, look forward to the next one. We'll have another one on tap soon. Be sure to tune into the next edition of the podcast. We look forward to talking to you then. For John Amarino, I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to you next time on the Retire Happy Podcast. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, BCM, a registered investment advisor. BCM and Securus Financial are independent of each other. Insurance products and services are not offered through BCM, but are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed agents. The opinions expressed by John Amarino and guests on this radio show are their own and are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine and future results. Any strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Before acting on any information mentioned, please consult with a qualified tax or investment advisor to determine if it is suitable for your specific situation. This program is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to subject covered.